Good evening. Everybody doing okay tonight? If you need any humility, um, need to be humbled. Sometimes as a, you know, as a pastor, I try before we get started, I try to kind of make my way through the different areas of church, just to try to speak to people, you know, maybe go through the preschool and see how they're doing. It's always fun to walk through there. I, I normally walk through our student department and just kind of holler at them. So tonight I walked over and we had a few minutes. I said, well, I don't do this often. I'm going to walk right over there and just go speak to the choir. They're over there singing. So I thought I'd just go over there. I thought it'd be the nice thing to do, you know, let them know I appreciate them, tell them, you know, really good to see them, what a good job they did. So I walked over there tonight. And, you know, I didn't tell them I appreciated them. I didn't tell them thank you. I didn't tell them anything, and here's why. I didn't get down the hall good, and five different people asked me, what are you doing in here? What, what are you doing in here? You're, you're not singing, are you? What are you doing in here? And, and I'm not going to lie. Like I'm, I think God has a sense of humor because I'm, I'm preaching, and uh, as we're going through Colossians, it's talking about, patience and humility and all the things that we're supposed to clothe ourselves with but sometimes you just can't take it I mean you just can't take it so I mean I just had to tell them I was like well I know I can sing better than at least three or four of you I mean I'm, I'm positive of that uh, um, but at any rate I'm really glad you're here tonight I hope you're having a great week I hope everything's going really really well um, for you and your family always wonderful to see you I'm thankful um, I'm a fan of cold. I am glad it's gotten colder. I like it. I, I hope it. I hope at some point it rains again in our lifetime. Um, but it is. Uh, it is nice to at least feel the cooler temperatures uh, for a little while. I'm proud and thankful for that. Um, we're going to be in several passages of scripture tonight. You'll see uh, a few of those that are listed towards the bottom of your sheet. Um, but we're going to specifically look at a. a Psalm 30, excuse me, Psalm 93, the first couple of verses of Psalm 93, and then we're also going to be in Psalm 139 and Isaiah 40. Psalm 93, Psalm 139, very close together those are, and then in Isaiah 40. So I'll just let you kind of get, know um, where we are with that. You know, there's a lot of terms that we use. Sometimes they're in hymns, and sometimes we use them in Bible studies, or sometimes you'll hear the word, but I wonder how often do we do you ever stop and just say, if I had to, could I define that term? Could I, could I explain to someone else what does that term mean? Well, we've been walking through this book together on Wednesday nights, Packers Knowing God, and this is a fascinating chapter because it, it's specifically on an attribute of God called the majesty of God. The majesty of God. Now, if we had to define the majesty of God, certainly um, we could be asked you to define God's love or God's grace or God's mercy. But there are some attributes of God that when we say them, I think we have a general idea of, of what they are. But terms like majesty or if we say the glory of God, what are we specifically referring to? Um, the word majesty, the, the Latin word for majesty is greatness. And so when you think about the majesty of God, when we say majesty, kingdom, authority, when we talk about the majesty of God, we are talking about the overall greatness of God. So God's majesty is intertwined, as are so many of his attributes, with everything else about who he is. Psalm 93 says, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and is armed with strength. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. 
Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. It's talking about the greatness and the grandeur of God, which is the majesty of God. Now, why is this specifically? I, I think if, you know, we could, everyone's heard it said, if I said um, God is great, we would say what? All the time, right? And all the time, God is great. We've all, all our whole lives, normally we've heard that. But what keeps the modern day believer, even the modern day churchgoer, what do you think is the greatest inhibition to believing in the grandeur, the greatness, the majesty of God? What do you think, if you really spent some time, what would be the greatest barrier to people elevating God in their hearts and minds to believing him to be the, the, the size that he is, great and grand God, a God that is a majestic God? What would be the greatest single reason do you believe, especially in contemporary or modern theology, that keeps people from understanding the majesty of God? Something to think about. I think there's a key. I, I think there's a, a key, especially in modern evangelicalism, that is keeping people from really tapping into understanding just how great God is. And it is the enemy of the majesty of God. What we see far too often, uh, there was a book written years ago. It's a little book. If you've never read it, it it's, fa it's a fascinating little book. I've recommended it a hundred times over. It's by a guy by the name of J.B. Phillips, and the name of the book is Your God is Too Small. It is a fantastic expose on helping you to understand the majesty of God. But the reason that the majesty of God or the greatness of God, which also has to do with the sovereignty of God, the reason that those attributes are so often not lifted as high as they ought to be is the modern church has actually elevated the place of man and if you elevate man then you have to de-elevate God when you elevate man's potential and you elevate man's ability and you begin to focus on who man is and what man can accomplish and when God is treated as though he is subservient to man, which is much of what the prosperity gospel teaches, so that man now has the ability to manipulate or man has the ability to cause God to act. You have elevated the place of man, and if you elevate man, then you bring lower the view of God that takes place in an individual life. So the greatest enemy to a biblical understanding of the majesty of God is the elevation of the belief in mankind. Now, that's not just in churches, but in culture today. We have elevated man to the point, we have deified the place of man, that man, even science, has become uh, reigning over the person and work of God so that now God, in sociologically, has been dethroned. So we come back to this, we come back to this doctrine, and, and, and we, we need to be reminded, especially when we use terms like this, that, and we've heard it our whole life, that God wants to have a personal relationship with you, that God is a personal God. Now, do we agree or disagree that God is a personal God? We agree, absolutely. He is a personal God. But what, when we teach that, there is something we need to be very careful that we don't communicate when we are communicating that God is a personal God. 
Because if I say that, are, that you are personal, obviously you are, you're a person, so you relate to people personally, you relate to them individually. But when I understand you as a person, I understand that you're also very imperfect. So your impersonal relationships are per- imperfect. The way you deal with people is imperfect. So if, if we take that understanding and then we then apply it to God, we will have a misunderstanding because when we say he is personal, when it comes to God, he's never weak, he's never inadequate, he's never ineffective. And so when we say that in individual lives, he is both personal and he is majestic. He is both great and he is personal. But we don't bring God down to a level of having the personal qualities that men have in their fallen state, which is why when God reveals some of his names, one of my favorite names that God reveals in Scripture is the name El Shaddai. Now, when we say that God is El Shaddai, what does that term mean? He is God Almighty. That is what the term El Shaddai means. The majesty of God, the almightiness of God, El Shaddai, he is saying that I am over it all. I am relating to you personally, but I'm not relating to you in a flawed way. I'm relating to you in a perfect way. So what then, two steps, what must someone take to form a right idea of the greatness of God? Um, number one, and, and, and we, we touched on this, but number one, what two steps must we take to form a right idea of God's greatness? Number one, remove all thoughts from our mind that limit him or make him small. Remove all thoughts from our mind that limit God or make God small. Now, we all do this from time to time when we're thinking about our view of God. Um, I, I was up the other night, just wasn't, didn't sleep well. It was early in the morning and just had a lot of things going, on my, going through my mind. And, and I, began, I began to pray. And as I was praying, um, a thought came through my mind. And I just was so distracted for just a moment because and this is I'm, I'm telling you I'm weird I've admitted that to you many many times and I and sometimes strange things run through my mind but all of a sudden and I don't know whether it's the devil or it's the flesh but I started thinking about all the people in the world and all the different time zones in the world and I started thinking about that at that moment how possibly how many other people were praying and I, all of a sudden I started thinking about things that were going on in Israel and I started thinking about all this stuff starts running through my mind And then I started thinking about what I was praying about. And what I was praying about seemed like it was probably maybe not as significant as a lot of things that maybe other people were praying about or other things that God could be spending his attention on. And all this is kind of, you can have all of those thoughts in the course of about 15 seconds. I don't, so I'm, I'm explaining that to you in detail, but all of this just starts coursing through my mind. And I kind of took a step back and just took a deep breath and, and I I'd been reading this, this chapter and preparing to, to, to teach this, and I almost, I almost got tickled at, at myself and, and at the sense of humor of God and the way that he reminded me he, that he simply put in my heart, you have such a limited view of me. That, do you not realize that I can handle your prayers, that I can handle what's taking place in Israel, that I can keep the universe spinning? I'm controlling the tides that I own the cattle on a thousand hills, and that I've heard every word you've said. And it was probably the greatest part of the prayer 
was the conviction that God was letting me know that I didn't have to feel silly about some of the things that were very real to me that I was praying about because I'm not able to handle some, I don't know if any of you are like this, but every now and then I get overwhelmed and I almost kind of have a shutoff valve. I, I've noticed, and in pastoral ministry, sometimes you don't want to admit that to people, but sometimes you hear about so many people's hurts or so much going on or you get, or you hear things and you just like, you feel like sometimes I don't know that I can take it anymore. I don't know that I can, and you want to be compassionate and you want to be merciful, but sometimes because I feel like that sometimes, I'm bad about putting that on God, if that makes, like, that I'm almost, I don't want to exhaust him with this. He's got enough going on. And then I, then I realized, because he is personal, and yet he's also all wise, and he's also majestic, that somehow he's able to handle it. And I don't know how. I'm just glad he can. And, and I'm glad that at 2 o'clock in the morning when I can't sleep, he's a God that does not sleep or slumber. He's a God that... When I woke up, he was awake, and he wanted to hear from me. And as trivial as some of it may be, if I were to tell all of you everything that kind of was going through my mind, because some of it is, if I told you everything that was going through my mind or bothering me, you might say, well, that, that isn't something you should have been worked up about. Maybe not. But he still cares. And, and so I'm, I'm thankful for that. So I think the majesty of God is huge in our individual prayer life and how we're reminded of that. And, and, and number two Here's something else. We need to compare him with powers and forces which we regard as great. We need to compare him with powers and forces which we regard as great. I saw a news headline the other day that they have, and it's scary. I mean, I'm not, and this isn't about doomsday, but but they're working on certain nuclear bombs right now that, that are going to make what was dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima look small. Like the, the technology is unbelievable about how rapidly that's progressing. And I can remember being in school, obviously I did not live through World War II, but watching the videos and, and, and some of that and just the explosions and what took place there and just being overwhelmed. I, I can remember some of you may remember news stories from when you were a child, like just being overwhelmed, like thinking about it. I, I remember where I was sitting when they turned on the TV and the Challenger blew up. Like, it just, it, it just scared me to death. I can tell you I was at Pedal Roller Dome. Um, I was at Pedal Roller Dome on the other side of Hattiesburg at a skating party when it came out on television that Magic Johnson had HIV and he announced to the world. I remember these, these huge world events. I, I, I can remember... Um, being at the Parsonage in, in Seminary, Mississippi, when Hurricane Katrina came through, and I watched a tornado touch down, and I watched trees that were just snapping right, right across, j just laying them down like toothpicks. And I mentioned all these, these world huge events because some of the most incredible news stories that I've ever seen, the most powerful natural disasters, the most powerful man-made problems, the, the, the most powerful bombs that have ever gone off, we need to remind ourselves those are absolutely nothing to God. If you compared, you, you take something as horrible as Hurricane Katrina, the amount of force that came with that. That all took place while the whole universe is still in operation. That Every bit of the force behind that, that our God controls the wind and he controls the waves. So sometimes I think it does us good to think about the most 
powerful, incredible things you've ever seen. I, I had the privilege to be able to see s some of the sequoias in, in Northern California before they stole all of my luggage in San Francisco. And, 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 and while I was there, I, I'm looking at them, and it's just absolutely unbelievable. It, and you realize this is just one tree. This, this is one tree. I, I've, seen, I've seen a whale up close, like real life, like been in a boat and seen a whale. If you've never seen a whale up close, that's un it's unbelievable. It, it's absolutely, that's one creature. That, that, that's one whale. So sometimes, just the way I pray, is I like to think about all kind of stuff like that. And then it just brings me back to, to, to this is, this kind of different, but this is just me. I kind of like to think about things like that, and then I just like to think about that's my God. That's my God. And if he is in control of that, and if he can build that, and if he can make that, and he can design that, then he can handle this. We need a bigger view of God. And I think that's what it comes down to in understanding his majesty. Psalm 139, if you're, if you're struggling you, now or ever, you need to mark Psalm 139 down in your, on your heart and in your life. It needs to be one that you go back to over and over and over again. I, I just want you to, I want you to see in this, the, in Psalm 139, God's presence, God's knowledge, and his power. I, I want you to see that life becomes an awesome business when you realize that you spend every moment in the company of an omniscient, omnipresent creator, that no bounds are on his presence with me, that he knows everything about me, I can't hide from him, so because of that, the majesty of God is with me every step of the way. Oh, Lord, you've searched me, and you know when I sit, and you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out from my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn or if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness won't be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for the darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you, evil intent, your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You have a God that not only is majestic and powerful, but is also personal and with you every single moment. You can't get away from him even if you want to. 
I don't know if any of you ever have this, talking a lot about prayer tonight. I'm, I'm 44 years old, and I'm, I'm trying to be, I'm just trying to get better at prayer all the time. I'm, I feel like it's, I've always felt like it was something that I wanted to be better at. I felt like it was a weakness in my life. I've always just been convicted that I wanted to be better at praying. And, and so I've really been trying to, to be more conscious lately. I'm working to try to turn my thoughts into, like, to, instead of just letting the thoughts be idle, to, to try to turn them into prayers and try to, what I think about, to, to direct that towards the Lord. And so Psalm 139 has been really good for me because God already knows the thoughts. Because I catch myself sometimes, there'll be some things I'm irritated about, things I'm mad about, things that I have a bad attitude about, and I know I have a bad attitude about them. I know full well, I'm convicted about it, but I don't want to pray about it. I caught myself doing this the other I mean, legitimately stopped praying because I knew what I needed to pray about next, but I didn't want to pray about that because I didn't want to deal with it because I kind of was liking being in the place I was in. That, I, that made, I don't know if anybody else, I mean, this is weird. Like this guy, and so I kind of just stopped, and then I started laughing because I'm telling you, I think God has a sense of humor or sometimes he just, in the midst of that, and literally, this is what I thought. I don't know that this is exactly how you're supposed to feel, but I thought, well, stupid. He already knows, like, you're, we just read Psalm 139. He knows every anxious thought you have. Pray about it anyway. And so I, I'm trying to acknowledge that in my life and trying to figure that out. And I think that's where the majesty of God really shines and, and, and comes through. Um, if you flip over... Um, from Psalm 139, and you flip over to another really powerful passage, just a, a little bit over in Isaiah chapter 40. Um, Isaiah chapter 40, as we continue trying to understand this, um, we're told um, about these forces that, that we compare the Lord to. And, and I want us to, to I'm, I'm not going to read this. Um, we quoted this last week, the grass withers and the flowers fall from verse 8, but the word of the Lord stands forever. But tonight I want to look specifically at a few, verse, a few verses and see what God, what he is compared to, to what powerful forces God is compared, compared to. Um, if you look at verse 12, there's some really good questions to ask that I help us to understand the majesty of God or to expand our view of God. Um, verse 12 of Isaiah 40, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? What a beautiful picture that is when you think about the magnitude of creation, and it's talking about that God, we, we kind of get back to something. Sometimes we think we've kind of outpunted where we were as children. And when I read that, that verse this week, I, I couldn't help but remember they may not let me sing it over there, but um, I, I remember something I learned as a child. He's got the what? Whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. And then we go through everything, right? He's got the little bitty babies in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. And when it comes right down to it, I don't know that we ever truly understand the magnitude of that theological truth. That's Isaiah 40, 12. He's got the whole world in his hands. And it's not just the world, but 
I think we need this reminder of everything going on in our world right now. Verse 15, surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. All this stuff in the Middle East right now, he owns the world. That dirt's not owned by Iran. That dirt's not owned by Saudi Arabia. And by the way, this dirt isn't owned by the United States of America either. It was his before there were ever national boundaries that were formed anywhere. And when we start to view the world as God's world, we begin to understand that it doesn't mean that we draw away from our understanding of the conflicts that are taking place, but we do understand that in light of them, he is a God that absolutely owns it. So the nations are in his hand, not just the nations, but verse 22 makes it clear that even more than the nations, he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He is over the whole world. He's over with everything that he's done. He's over the nations. Verse 23, he brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. I think about all you go through. I love the story in Daniel of Nebuchadnezzar. I think we ought to go back and read that. You think these people that think that they're somehow going to, to elevate themselves above the status of God, that guy was out walking around like a wild animal with his fingernails growing out, and his, it says that his hair grew like, like feathers, and it, is, it grew like talons that he couldn't speak intelligibly anymore, and the Lord sent him to that place. Right now, and, and, and I want to be careful because I have no idea what somebody does at death, so when, when I say this, Everything about their life would lead us to believe that there was a time in, in, in his life, when, when their life, when people like Osama bin Laden thought that they were going to, to, to mar the face uh, of Judeo-Christianity. And we know what happened to him and where he is. We know people like Adolf Hitler, that right now, one of the most despicable and evil people, that the Lord is in absolute control from Nebuchadnezzar to now, we see that there is no one that the Lord does not have rule over. He is majestic in his nature. He's over the rulers. Verse 26 says this, Lift your eyes up and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? Who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them each by name because of his great power and his mighty strength? Not one of them is missing. That's what Teddy Roosevelt used to do. He got in a contentious meeting and um, a lot of times you get dignitaries together and everybody'd start arguing and, and it would get tense in the meeting. He'd say, hey, everybody, I think we need to just take a break for a minute. And he'd take them out to the veranda and he'd say, why don't we all just take a minute and look up? And they'd look up and you look at the starry sky and he'd, and he'd say this, listen, I think we're all small enough now. Maybe we could go back in and sit down. And I think sometimes that it is amazing if you're an outdoorsman or even if you're just somebody who goes outside, every now and then you just look around and go, wow, that's my God. He's majestic and he's powerful. So a couple of questions that Isaiah forms because of this majestic qualities of God. What three questions does Isaiah ask the downcast Israelites? This is meant to be an encouraging word in Isaiah 40. 
And so if we go to verse 25, watch this question. To whom will you compare me or to who is my equal? Who will you compare me to that I should be like him? What what answer is he going for? What what answer is God wanting out, out of verse 25? To whom will you compare me to or who is my equal? No one. There is no one who compares. You are the only God. You are above all others because the Lord your God is one. That's what they had learned in the Shema, and he is reminding them of that. He is above all. Number two, number two, verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. They are, what he is talking about is they, are, they have gotten to a place where they think God has abandoned them. My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded. In other words, God doesn't see me anymore and God doesn't care about me anymore. God answers those questions that he has never, Psalm 139, you have never been anywhere where he hasn't seen you and you have never been anywhere where he doesn't care about you. And then verse 28, do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired and weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. Have you not heard of his power? Friends, in the midst of everything that we walk through in our individual lives, in our church life, in our community, in the world at large, we need to be a people that remember um, we serve the famous one. We serve the one who is above all. He is majestic, enthroned in glory. And there is a absolute peace in being able to say, that's my God. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you tonight that you are majestic, that you are above all powers, that you are above all thrones, that you are the creator God and the redeemer God. And so, Lord, as we bow before you, I'm thankful that you hear us when we pray. I'm thankful that you are personal, and even in the midst of everything going on right now, you hear this prayer clearly and perfectly. God, I want to do better at trusting you and believing that because your ways and my ways, thankfully, are not alike, that you will do a much better job with my life than I ever would. Lord, you'll do a lot better job with my family than I can. Lord, you know that you'll do such a greater job with this church and this community than I could ever hope to do. So, Lord, when we come to you in surrender, what a beautiful thing it is to know we're surrendering to the one who is able, more than able, to do great things above all we can above all we can comprehend think or imagine so lord we are thankful for a majestic king and a glorious savior in whose name we pray amen so glad that you are here tonight i'm thankful to walk through this study with you all a couple of things coming up you want to be here uh this sunday morning going to be a great sunday in worship um and also sunday night if you haven't gotten your tickets yet be sure to get your tickets sunday night going to have a great night together at a men's sporting event Got some fantastic prizes to get away, give away. We've got multiple guns and bows and coolers and game cameras and flashlights and 
I, I, don't, I can't even name it all. There's over 400 prizes that are, that are going to be given away that night. So you want to be here and be a part of that. Um, bring someone uh, to come and experience that. Tickets are $5. They, all the money that we're raising from the ticket sales are going to the Catch a Dream Foundation um, to help a child um, who is in a serious situation to be able to enjoy the hunt uh, or fishing trip of a lifetime. So y'all be here and be a part of that. I hope you have a great rest of your week.